0: Hello and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast, where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Today's podcast is a little bit different from others because the citations we're going to be talking about will actually be happening in the future. This weekend, Lakeland International College in Japan will be holding its seventh conference on global higher education, and for this year and this year only, it will be online and completely free to register and join. This is a conference that I have attended and enjoyed greatly for the last five years, and we couldn't attend it last year because of the coronavirus shutdown, and also the fact that it's going to be held online uh, means that we won't be attending it this year either. However, this has given us the opportunity to more widely publicize some great works. So today's podcast... We'll begin with an interview with the co-founder of the conference, Roger Grabowski, who is the Assistant Professor of General Studies at Lakeland International College, and then we will have a series of short introductions to the presentations that previous interviewees on this podcast and also friends of the podcast who have supported us throughout this last year, allowing people to give some Introduction and background and hopefully promote the work that they're going to be talking about this weekend If you're listening to this podcast after the conference then know that Lakeland International has a very active presence on YouTube and Will have recorded the presentations and if you have any interest in them You'll be able to find them on their YouTube channel for free at your convenience So without any further ado Let's speak with Roger Grabowski and learn a little bit more about the background to the conference and perhaps why you should consider attending. Nice to speak to you today, Roger.
1: Thanks for inviting me on here, Chris. It's really nice.
0: So could you give us some background to the conference, how long it's been running and what kind of themes are common among the presenters?
1: okay well you know at uh, lakeland university japan it's a it's a branch campus of uh of lakeland university which is in wisconsin in the united states and obviously we're we're a pretty small campus we're growing um right now for for a lot of different reasons but it's it's pretty small and um there had always been some talk of of having some kind of uh some kind of an event or some kind of a, a a way to to kind of open up the university and get the name out there a little bit. Well, in 2013, my colleague uh, Carl Gabrielson and I uh, presented a a, a proposal to JALT and we thought it was really good and it was very original and very relevant, but uh, it got rejected, it didn't get accepted. And I I understand that's probably because they they get way too many uh, submissions at JALT and that's okay. Um, And so one day Carl walked over to my desk and he said, Said well, maybe this is our opportunity to uh, to to present if we make our own way, our own place to present, right? And that was kind of the genesis of the of the conference and. It wasn't really difficult to convince our, uh, the administration to uh, be behind this because um, it was a, a good way. In addition to giving giving people a, a, a venue to uh, to present their research and present their ideas, it was also good for our university. And uh, that's, that's where it came from. And the first one was in 2014. Essentially you're like, we
0: don't need to get an invitation to the cool kids party. We can have our own party.
1: DIY. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it has kind of been been successful for, for a number of reasons.
0: Well, yours is a conference that has always appeared to be very well organized and has a lot of thought around just kind of small things like when people arrive having got there from different parts of the country. There's free coffee, Danish, uh, very positive students in in the lobby telling you where you're able to go. So it it. It suggests it's very well organized. Could you give us some background to some of the issues that are related to organizing a conference of this style?
1: Well, I, well th- thank you, first of all, for noticing those little things. That was some- something that I was going to talk about was that um, for all of the large issues that get covered in an event like this, um, I end up spending a lot of time on minutiae and things that are completely unacademic and, um, and, and not um, readily visibly important. Since we've done this a number of times now, and um, I have to give a lot of credit to, to Carl, my, my colleague, he was really the driving force behind it for the first couple of years before he, he moved back to the United States to, to go back to school just like anything else we've done it a few times and we kind of have a system in place and uh, it, it requires a lot of planning you know it it starts the previous year in September or October when we have to hammer out some kind of a theme for the conference and then publicize the call for papers and um, after that there's really not much to do in, until we we get the submissions and then after that um we have to read and vet the submissions and then the real fun begins of organizing them and, and coordinating the actual day. So really it uh, it goes in, in sort of bursts of activity, right? Where I'm very, very busy for a short period of time and then there's not much that that I can do for a while until the next burst of activity. And then as the conference uh, approaches maybe the the especially the week before then there's always something i forgot to do and i end up worrying about as you said, coffee and muffins and name tags and camera batteries and chasing down student workers and and things like that. But um, there have been a couple of years where I I was very very harried and and maybe forgot a few things. But uh, the last time that we did this in 2019, the uh, our school our staff our administrative staff at the university was really really on board with helping me make it a, a, a successful event and absolutely nothing went the tiniest bit off it was it was really a great day it was it was fun then afterwards to sit down with with everybody and and have a glass of wine at the post conference reception
0: you mentioned the students and this is something that i've always noticed that you work to try and include them as much as possible in in the events of the day either being people who guide people around the campus or staffing the cameras. I mean, this is one of the conferences, one of the only conferences that regularly records and then posts to YouTube that people who couldn't attend can watch the presentations afterwards. Um, How important are the students to you in this process? And what do you think they gain from being part of a conference?
1: Well, I I think for one thing we we employ the students because we have them. They're a, they're a resource, right? And uh, they you know they're 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 uh, compensated for their time. And uh, there's sort of I don't I don't always understand it myself, but there's sort of different, different levels of students that are, that are able to help. And, uh, you know, because we're an American university, all of our students speak English. And um, about, depending on the semester, about 25 to 30% of our students are non-Japanese. And uh, I mean, for one thing, those ge- generally the non-Japanese students are, are you know, confident in their English skill. A lot of them are, are native English speakers, but also I, I think there's also the issue that they, they can't work Right? They can't go work at a convenience store or, or be, uh, uh, work at a Juku or anything because of their student visa, but they are allowed to work um, at school. And so this is a, a great opportunity for them to help out. And also I've, I've gotten feedback from, from our students about like, how, how fun it was just to strike up a conversation with people like you coming from across Japan or you know, people who have traveled from the United States or China or Europe, just for our one-day conference, and, and what a what a, a unique experience that was for them.
0: Your conference does seem to draw quite a wide variety of people from not only Japan, but also other places as well. Given that it's a conference uh, that is on international education, I think it really has that connection that people find it interesting to go, and each year, year by year, I think the the name is growing, and I think it, a lot of that's down to you and your promotion. So, well, thank you. Can you tell us what's different about this year, and <laughs> why, essentially, why are we having this conversation? What, 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 what's your promotional pitch to people who are listening to this interview?
1: Okay, well, good question. So, uh, the <coughs> excuse me, the obvious difference is that we're holding the entire event online, and uh, this was this is actually postponed from last year. Uh, we were going to have it as usual on our campus last June. And then, you know, as you'll, re- as you'll remember back in March, April, nobody had any idea what to expect for the rest of the year. So we postponed it to the fall. And then there was some thought of, of doing something then, but then we decided it was just the best to, to wait another year. And once again, at the beginning of this year, we thought, oh, maybe we can have some, some sessions in person and then some sessions online. But boy, that just hasn't. We haven't been allowed to do that, right? The circumstances here in Japan are 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 not such that we could, um, we could safely do that. I don't think anybody would 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 want to come, even if if it were available. So we've decided to go ahead and do it, um, but have all of the 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 sessions online, and um, there are, I think it's going to be eight. Panels throughout mm-hmm. the day. Um, we've got panels on, uh, you know, classroom strategies, you know, actual actual teaching methods, as well as uh, teaching uh, teacher professional development. Um, and of obviously, as as we do every year, be, just because of the nature of the of the conference, there's going to be a couple of panels about issues related to Japanese universities. When Carl and I started the conference in, or when we came up with it in 2013, uh, that that was sort of when the uh, the Global 30 initiative was was being pushed, and so that seemed like a very timely topic. And even though even though Lakeland is not a Japanese university, we are an American, we're an international university, and so the whole idea of globalization. Um, Se- seem something that, that could appeal to a wide, a wide range of educators and, and administrators and, and researchers. There's going to be a, a panel of people who are talking about universities outside of Japan. Um, so there's, it's obviously here we are in Japan and uh, we're, most of us are going to focus on our work here, but then there's also people who, some are, dom- are domestic in Japan and some are Abroad, and they're going to talk about their experiences outside of Japan. And then um, there's always panels and always presentations that that look at questions of globalization and internationalization, and even sometimes they get uh, very existential of what does that even mean, right? And how can we define it? And uh, and then obviously they they th- those ideas get tied into to issues of university administration and admissions and, uh, and and program development.
0: We all hope and pray that this time next year, we're going to be building up towards an in-person uh, Lakeland International College conference. I hope so. Do you have any thoughts going forward of any developments that you'd like, anything that you'd like to to do? Would you like to stretch it to a two-day conference? Would you like to change the venue, build it up? I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the the names that you're attracting are pretty well known in their fields, And I think the, the better promotion that you get, the more people might be interested in attending. So are there any hopes and thoughts and dreams that you have for the conference going forward?
1: Well, we've toyed, not toyed, we've implemented a number of, of uh, at various times, different a kind of different features to the conference for uh several times we've had a uh student panel of uh lakeland students and lakeland alumni and also students from from other schools in and out of japan and uh well, the last time in 2019 we had poster presentations so in the middle of the day there was a, a session of that and that that was actually really really successful and it also helped it it sort of on a selfish level, it helped me coordinate the day a little bit better too, because we just weren't able to accommodate all of the submissions that we had. So uh, the answer is yes, I would love to expand it, um, you know, obviously based on on how many submissions we get and how much interest there is. And we'll see how this year goes. Um, You know, last November, Jolt was entirely online. And I was a, a moderator and a, a, a Zoom room host for more sessions than I can count over the weekend. And so this can be done. So I, I think that it might be possible for us to, of course, come back to campus, which is something that that I, I miss so much, right? Is running into uh, to old friends and making new friends and just being in the same room with people. But we could also have an online um, component to it as well for people who aren't able to travel all the way to, to Tokyo for one day.
0: Well, I will be more than willing to travel to Tokyo even if it <laughs> is for just one day because not only the conference, but just around the corner is an absolutely fantastic Nepalese curry restaurant that I am very much looking forward to <laughs> get back in touch with their, uh, with their lunch menu.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much indeed for your time today, Roger, and I wish you all the best of luck with the conference.
1: Hey, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about it, Chris. This was great. Thank you very much.
0: And I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Joining us now is legendary friend of the pod, Todd Bukins, who's produced some of our better quality episodes over our run. Uh, How are you doing today, Todd?
2: Uh, I'm doing quite well. I would contest your comment about the best, (laughs) some of the best content, but it was fun doing podcasts with you guys. I truly
0: enjoyed it. And you're always welcome to come back uh, whenever you want. So you're also presenting at the conference. Could you tell us the contents of what you're going to be speaking about?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'd love to. I'll be talking about the changes in the publishing industry and how teachers now can actually create more engaging and interactive books for free, actually, and can really produce anything that the publishers can um, actually even surpass what the publishers produce, just using various tools that are available online, because the the whole system has changed from production to skills needed to create content, distribution, marketing, things like that.
0: So you're in the new strategies section of the conference, and uh, you're actually kicking off the whole thing at 9.50 in the morning. Any... uh... Extra pressure being the first panel of the day?
2: No, actually, I'm lucky. It's always best to go first and get it over with. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I'm excited to share what, what little I know, but hopefully it's going to be impactful.
0: On a practical side, how do you prepare for a presentation like this? Is it different from what it would be in person or is it fairly similar?
2: Oh, for me, it's fairly similar. Um, I have a little secret about presentations and that I'm never nervous when I do them because I always do technical things. So I do, for example, how to do something step-by-step. And so it's very easy. And so it doesn't matter if it's live, or if it's recorded online. Uh, And it's usually a, a very enthusiastic or willing audience when you're doing more technical stuff versus when you're doing more theoretical stuff, or maybe you're talking about something that might be controversial or debatable or things like that.
0: Given that everyone is going to be watching it on Zoom, so they're going to be looking at things through a screen, is there going to be any interactive element to it? Will people be able to view the contents of it while you're doing it?
2: Yeah, and actually one, one thing that I always do with, with all my presentations is I have it recorded ahead of time, or everything's pre-prepared, I should say. Um, and the, there are links, and there are interactive uh, activities, and also there's all the, the lecture notes, so the person can just relax and participate as a viewer, and everything is available for them online, and they could also interact, kick the tires on some of the tools that I show, um, and so they can participate.
0: That's always been a feature of presentations that I've seen of you in the past, like you'll say, you know, get out your cell phones, log into this take a look at this QR code on your tablet and, and try it for yourself in the presentation. I think it's one of the things that hopefully we're, we're going to be doing more of as, you know, even when we do get back to face-to-face presentations.
2: Yeah. You know, when I grew up, I used to have, uh, you know, the fair and you'd go to the fair and the most popular people in the like in the sales demo room, whatever, would be the people that would let you try out the the knives or whatever. (laughs) Um, Hard to believe that they're letting people try out knives. But so, yeah, I think that's how it works also with presentations. You know, people, they want it to be hands-on. Unless you're an engaging speaker like yourself, you can pull it off. But I'm not an engaging speaker, so I have to rely on tricks and gimmicks to keep everybody's attention.
0: Well, just to repeat, so the panel title is new strategy starting at 9 50 and the title of the paper being presented is rethinking textbooks and you heard it here first you will be playing with todd and his digital knives so <laughs> i hope you get plenty of people joining you for the presentation
2: uh, yeah thanks thanks for the intro chris and i look forward to seeing people there
0: so joining us now is dustin kidd who is an associate professor at the university of shimane nice to speak to you today dustin
3: it's a pleasure mr haswell how are you
0: i'm very we well should call you
3: chris but you know
0: well if <laughs> or we're being formal, yeah. if,
3: are we being formal though
0: i don't know so you're presenting in the home and abroad section you and our mutual friend richard lee and the name of the presentation is helping students face the uncertainties of study abroad yes could you give us a little background and some of the details that you're going to be speaking about
3: i have a summer program that I do with students at my campus. And uh, we go uh, to the United States every summer. Well, you know, except for the past couple of years, but uh, I've been taking students to America for about six years now. Um, and kind of the nice thing is it's it's my old alma mater and it's also uh, Rich's old alma mater. So we're both familiar with the area and the university. Where this all kind of starts from is you know, we're bringing students over for between two to three weeks. Um, you know, these are short-term study abroad programs that have kind of been considered to be not all that effective necessarily for language acquisition. Mm. Um, you know, we both have felt that there are ways that we can improve on this. And so what we've done is we've, uh, introduced a scrapbook, uh, project for our students to do. And, uh, the reason for this is that a lot of students don't feel confident in their English skills or their conversation skills. And uh, so we, we have them prepare this scrapbook ahead of time so that they can have topics to talk about if something comes up or you know, when the opportunity arises, uh, because there are all sorts of different situations that they're all going to experience individually. And you can only prepare them so well for the overall stuff and kind of have to let them do their own thing in a lot of cases. And, and so you want to at least try and give them something they can rely on in, in what can be kind of not necessarily frightening, but a, a daunting situation in some mm.
0: cases. It's certainly something that's concrete that they can use to connect with their host families. And I don't want to give away too much of the information because I'd like people to watch uh, your presentation. Uh, But I have seen some samples that you have presented at other conferences, and I think that they are a a valuable resource of uh, language production. How are you preparing for the conference?
3: Conference itself? Well, we're still... Uh, Rich and I have been doing a bit of online uh, back and forth, kind of organizing our thoughts, taking what we've done with past presentations and and trying to focus on, on the points that we think are most important. It's really my first time to do an online presentation. So I, I'm kind of in the same situation as my students uh, when they go overseas. I'm not not sure what to expect, but uh, basically, we just basically, yeah, um, we're, we're just trying to make it so that uh, the information we present is relevant, of course, and, uh, you know, we're, we're getting we're taking it down to our main points and, uh, you know, our, our main specific things, trying to give a little bit of background of short term study abroad programs in general and where ours fits within kind of that relative scale mm. of programs you know, trying to pick out some examples of, of student work on scrapbooks that we've found to be creative because the students, once you find, once you get the students interested in the project, then they really start getting creative with it. And it's, yeah. it's goes way beyond anything I expected when I first introduced the project. and And so there's, so many different ways that students can can use this because it is an individual thing and so kind of seeing the different variety of what students come up with and then taking that and we're going to we're trying to put together as many good examples as possible to say hey these are things that students we give them a general background of what we think is good to have in those scrapbooks and then these are the kind of things that they can come up with on their own. And um, we're also going to show, put together uh, some examples of the diaries that we asked them to write. Um, and and they they really get creative with those too. And and you know they'll paste in receipts from shopping and uh, you know movie ticket or you know these these specific things that are you know even these little tiny things can really become an important keepsake or something that reminds them of, uh, of a good experience they had. So the students get really involved with that. And so you know, we're, we're trying to show the possibilities of the scrapbook are mm. and also address sort of some of the issues that we've come across just as far as motivating them or, you know, practicing beforehand. And then uh, trying to address what sort of things we can do with these scrapbooks in the future
0: fantastic well i'm looking forward to seeing it again this presentation's name is helping students face the uncertainties of study abroad so it's dustin kidd and richard lee and it kicks off at nine fifty. so uh, i look forward to seeing you there
3: all right well we're, lo- we're looking forward to seeing you being there as well so thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit about our uh, presentation today
0: joining us now is dr anna sophia hoffmeyer who is from kansai university How are you doing today, Anna?
4: I'm great. Thank you so much.
0: Regular listeners will notice that there's a difference in your name from the last time that we spoke, given that you are now a doctor.
4: That's right. And thank you for the practice. Last time, it ended (laughs) up going very well. So, yeah.
0: Well, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations at that. So the paper that you're going to be speaking on is the Home and Abroad Panel uh, called Internationalization at Home in Japan fostering interculturally competent domestic students, question mark.
4: Yes, that's right. And um, for people who listen to my podcast about my doctoral degree, uh, it's based mainly on the results I got from that study. Um, So it's really based on this idea that universities in Japan are aiming to cultivate global human resources or global uh, Jinzai, but are they succeeding Uh, in their efforts to internationalize students uh, who do not study abroad. And it turned out to be quite an interesting topic considering the pandemic. This was a uh, pre-pandemic study, but um, very useful right now. And um, I'll be presenting results of 164 students or a study conducted with 164 students from two universities belonging to the top global university project in Japan. And this was a one-year longitudinal study. Uh, Students answered questionnaires at three points in the year and interviews at two points uh, to see how their intercultural competence developed uh, throughout a one-year period without studying abroad.
0: Sounds very interesting. You're also lucky to be on a panel with people who we've spoken to previously as well. So we have uh, Dr. Annette Bradford, Dr. Howard Brown, and we also have two friends of mine, Richard Lee and Dustin Kidd, who are on the Mm -hmm. panel with you. So I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion given the range of information. How are you preparing? Is this your first online presentation?
4: It's not. I think for most of us, we've, we've been presenting online for quite a while now. I think mostly I'm just focusing on being able to summarize my results uh, into the time that i have uh, for the conference the doctoral project is a big project um so i really want to focus on what's what the main points are and of course points that are um interesting uh, for the audience at the conference
0: uh, i look forward to seeing it i mean your panel is beginning the whole schedule it starts at nine fifty on saturday morning and i'll be there to watch and uh, thank you very much (laughs) i i look i look forward to uh, seeing all of your presentations
4: so i hope i can meet your expectations
0: (laughs) the panel is home and abroad the presenter is dr anna sophia hoffmeyer and the paper being presented is internationalization at home in japan fostering interculturally competent domestic students thank you very much for your time today anna thank you And we are joined now by Dr. Howard Brown from the University of Niigata Prefecture. How are you doing today, Howard? Quite well, thanks. So the presentation you're going to be doing is on the Home and Abroad panel, and it's called Learning and Career Outcomes of International Programs. So what can the viewers expect from this presentation?
5: Well, we're uh, working on a Kakanhe-funded project to investigate pretty much what the title says, the outcomes of uh, international programs. And specifically, we're looking at programs that are entirely taught in English. So the English taught programs, your global 30, your your super global programs. And we are investigating the the career outcomes of those students. Um, We started with uh, sort of an analysis of marketing materials that the universities are putting out. And it's been pretty clear that the universities are, and the government and the, the sort of higher education sector as a whole are promoting these programs in terms of employability in international fields and internationalization. They're tied to the whole concept of global jinzai. So we're curious about what the, the career outcomes for these students actually are. And
0: so where are you in the project right now? You say it's a, uh, a government-funded project. Uh, Where are you in the the stages of the project right
5: now? We are in year two of the project, uh, but because of 2020, we're about a year behind schedule. So we're kind of (laughs) in year one, more or less. We're starting with some context-setting research. One of our group members, uh, Shingo Haneda, is looking into the job hunting experiences of some seniors uh, and how their experiences maybe are similar or different from students who graduate from a run-of-the-mill Japanese taught program. Another group member, Annette Bradford, is looking into um, the promises that are made. She's using the Dafuzen-Smith roadmapping framework as a lens mm-hmm. to look at university marketing materials to see what promises are being made or implied to students who are looking at these English taught programs as an option in terms of the career outcomes that are waiting for them. Uh, And I'm at work on a survey of Career Center staff and an interview project with Career Center staff, trying to get a a handle on how the job market looks for graduates of international programs.
0: How difficult is it to organize a project like this, particularly in a time For example from last year coming into this year when we still can't meet when we it's difficult to organize these these things how difficult has it been to organize research activities at this time
5: it's been a lot more difficult than we thought we have all of these wonderful tools we have skype we have zoom we we have remote meetings but there's a lot to be said for meeting in person Mm. um, to really get on the same page Mm. when we spend an hour together face to face Um, I think we come to a consensus a lot more um, smoothly Mm. than if we spend a similar hour on Zoom. And that may come down to just, none of us are particularly familiar with Zoom. We've only been using it for a year and a half. I had never heard of the company Zoom before. (laughs) It's just a, a question of unfamiliarity. It may be just a question of unfamiliarity, but it's definitely much more challenging to organize research activities this way. That being said, it also offers some new opportunities. Mm -hmm. In a a related project, um, we've been doing some cooperative work with the research team in Korea. Mm. And um, the online universe that's been created over the last year really facilitated that cross-border work. Mm -hmm.
0: How are you preparing? This is a a three-person, it's you, it's Annette Bradford and Shingo Hanada doing this presentation. How are you preparing for it. Are you doing any, have you decided your roles beforehand? Are you doing any practice runs?
5: Um, we've decided our roles beforehand and we've mm-hmm. sort of divided up the the time in terms of um, the who's going to talk about three main aspects of the project and each of us is, is taking a seven minute chunk, so to speak, of the presentation.
0: And is this your first online presentation during this period or have you been regularly
5: presenting online? This is my fourth maybe online presentation um, during this period. They've been hit and miss to tell you the truth. (laughs) I sometimes find it a bit disconcerting to be staring at myself on the screen as I present. Um, (laughs) And I I find the same thing happens in my classes when I teach online. I'm never quite sure whether my words are landing the way I think they're going to land.
0: I had a moment this morning where uh, when they came back from a breakout room, one of my students forgot to turn their camera off. And as soon as I started speaking, his phone was up in front of his face and he's, he's texting back and forth. I was like, oh, okay, I see you. I see you. And then when he turned his camera <laughs> off, I was like, turn your camera off next time. So <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I understand how that works. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Howard. And I wish you the best of luck with the presentation. I'll I'll certainly be, uh, I'll be watching that panel because it includes uh, Richard Lee, Dustin Kidd and Dr. Anna-Sophia Hoffmeyer who uh, are also participants in this Lakeland podcast. So thank you very much for your time and I wish you the best of luck.
5: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Joining us now is Fern Sakamoto who is a lecturer at Nagoya University of Foreign Studies. Very nice to speak to you again, Fern. Thanks, Chris. So the paper you're going to be presenting is in the Globalization and Culture panel called What the Heck is gorobaro Jinzai Anyway? So could you give us some background to what you're going to be speaking about?
6: Yeah, sure. Uh, so the title comes from a quote that I found from a Japanese author who is really focusing on the problem of how can we develop global competence if we don't really know what it is. And my personal background is, um, was that I started university teaching, being asked to create courses to cultivate global Jinzai. I was part of a a project with that specific aim. So it was a very personal need to me to figure out what that meant so that I could be teaching it. Um, And that was, you know, 10 years ago. (laughs) And I, you know, I read a lot and I got a general idea, but I also at the back of my mind was thinking, but I really wanna look into this deeper. And so when I, Start a PhD it was a chance to do that Uh, and yeah that's what I want to present the the results of the first part of my data collection. Mm. Um, So I collected data from students, from teachers, from researchers and from people who had global business experience and really looked at what they thought was important for Japanese students to be globally competent.
0: Is this your first time speaking on this part of your research or have you spoken on an online conference recently?
6: I did speak at a conference in Australia last year that was for postgraduate students. Mm-hmm. So that was a kind of everybody's work in progress presentation. So it's, it's the second time with this data a little mm-hmm. bit further along in the process though.
0: Has the way that you're preparing for an online conference been different from how you've prepared for face-to-face conferences in the past?
6: Yeah, I think it's quite different. I focus a lot more on the slides because they're so front and center. You know, your head pops Mm. up in the corner, but that's what people are looking at. So it's really important not to have any errors, of course, Mm -hmm. but also to make it really easy to look at and easy to understand. Um, So I I think I spend more time on that, but the actual contents doesn't change a great deal for me. Mm.
0: I gave a presentation recently where they were doing simultaneous translation. So you had to send the PowerPoint one week in advance. And I try and take a lot of text out of my PowerPoints and only include like images and pictures and just necessary uh, things. And so I had to have a private meeting with the translators because they're like, we don't know what you're going to say. Do you have a script? It was like, I never have a script. Yeah. So that was something that I hadn't even thought about that uh, in presenting. Mm In presenting at the conference are you hoping that you'll get some connection with other presenters with other academics are you making an appeal for assistance or is this part of your process of uh, Mm. producing your work I I believe you're doing your PhD through Macquarie University through publication
6: that's right so
0: is presenting something that helps with your process of publishing your work
6: It helps with my process of figuring out what I've got in front of me, I think, to have little deadlines Mm. along the way and and interpret parts of the data and and present that to people and sort of get their feedback and and get more ideas of of other ways to look at it. I really find that helpful. Um, I like Lakeland. I presented there before. It's a group of people with very focused, similar research interests. So Mm. I'm hoping to reconnect with some people and and meet some new people, but being online, I I don't know. (laughs) We'll see how that goes.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Good luck with the presentation. The title again is What the Hick is Grobar Jinzai Anyway? And it's on the Globalization and Culture panel, which begins at 3.35. So good luck with your presentation. Thank you. So joining us now is Dr. Aaron Han, who works at Kyushu University. Very nice to speak to you again, Aaron
7: nice to see you thank you
0: so Aaron's going to be giving us some of the background to a paper that he I and a colleague of ours Dr Kevin Brown are going to be doing in the final panel of the day called the Japanese University Uh, the paper we're going to be speaking about is teaching and testing intercultural communication competencies using a global model could you give us some background to the research upon which this paper is based
7: absolutely I'll be talking Uh, as you said, with uh, yourself and another uh, speaker. The stuff I'll be talking about is a lot of the background for the um, research that we have been doing for almost eight or nine years now um, related to modeling the way English language and English language users are distributed across the world in terms of different varieties. Uh, With the idea that uh, there are a lot of models of the English language and certainly the most famous one, particularly for teachers, is Braj Kotcher's Three Circles model. And the concern that originally uh, Haswell raised is that a lot of these models have problems. Um, They they may not accurately represent how English is really used. They may unfairly privilege first language speakers. And especially for us as teachers, the concern is that the models weren't pedagogically uh, actionable. Like knowing that there are three circles, even if whether or not that's true, doesn't tell you what is a teacher to do. And so we ended up developing uh, originally, Mr. Haswell here, uh, originally developed uh, the global model of English, then we've been subsequently uh, modifying it with the idea of representing both varieties of English and users of English in a three-dimensional dynamic model, that could show how it is. there are both things like national varieties of English, like the so-called world Englishes. There are also international Englishes, like international business English and international science English. And there are a set of competencies, often linked to lingua franca English, which people can use to successfully communicate with people from any variety. And this model kind of puts all of those together and shows how users can attain greater proficiency by having this more international lingua franca approach and that therefore teachers can use this to keep in mind as they're planning that rather than thinking how do i get my students to be like a so-called native speaker they can be thinking how do i get my students to gain the maximum competency available and more, maybe even more importantly, successfully communicate even when there are uh, problems between in the communication or a lack of competency on uh, one of the parts of the interlocutors.
0: Yeah, I've been speaking to Kevin very recently mm. uh, before this interview and talking about how we're going to address issues of testing and mm. how this kind of philosophical background to English as a lingua franca. When that comes up against the real world of high-stakes language testing, we have to know what we are kind of steering our students towards, even when we're trying to adopt this ELF mentality. So it really is trying to bring together the philosophy, the practicality, the real-world implications of this. So we're hoping it's going to be uh, well attended. It is begins at 3.35 and runs through to five o'clock. So quite literally shutting the conference down. How have you been preparing for this presentation? Is it very different from what you do for an in-person presentation?
7: Not so much uh, in the sense that uh, it'll still be me with PowerPoint and presenting the same kinds of uh, information. This is a, I said, a project we've been doing for a long time. For me, preparation really is about being able to look at a PowerPoint and give the speech without, while essentially making it up as I go along, if that makes sense, uh, but only because I have the ideas uh, based in um, well enough understood that I can kind of spontaneously create them. So it's a lot of the same work.
0: Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And once again, looking forward to presenting with you. So I think it's going to be a good presentation. Thank you very yes. much, Aaron. Thank you. Lost in Citations is an audio journal that invites you to contribute your own interviews. If there's someone whose work you cite regularly and you'd like to hear more from them, then please feel free to arrange your own interview and submit it for consideration. For more information, go to lostincitations.com where you'll find our guide for contributors. What we ask is you submit a five minute audio sample before the interview so that we can help you with any audio quality issues then you can go ahead and record 45 minutes to an hour and submit it at lostincitations at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages. Finally, a very helpful thing you can do is, if you like the work we're doing, recommend it to a friend. Thank you very much.